called this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, please, uh, I invite you to turn over to Genesis. Again, we're working through Genesis, and the way the sermon series would be, we're just looking at <clears throat> the way God has given us his word is through people uh, of various chapters of their life. So there's a section in Genesis of Abraham, and there's a section in Genesis of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so what I hope to now and then going forward into the future is take moments to look at their lives. So right now we are just looking at Abraham. We'll stop in a few more weeks and transition to something else and then come back and swing around to the life of Jacob. Because the way Genesis works is that it's broken off as these stories of individuals that we should learn from. And here we are looking through uh, Abraham's life. So if you're over there in your scriptures, please turn to Genesis 24. This is the life of Abraham toward the end of his life. And as you're turning there, we'll begin to go to the Lord in prayer. Um, so much to be uh, grateful to God for. Uh, let's take a time uh, to put our hearts right before him. Father, Lord, we come here in public uh, performance before you, Lord. We present ourselves, Lord. We have uh, cleaned ourselves, put our shoes on, got in the car, drove here so that we would be presented before you, presented before you as an assembly. Lord, we have nothing. We have nothing to give you, but what you have already given us. And Lord, we come here acknowledging that the first of our monies, the first of our time, the first of our talents, it all goes to you because you've given us your firstborn. Father, you've given us the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our great treasure. We confess, Lord, our sin in being slothful, in being lackadaisical, in not sensing and cherishing the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you to fix that now. Lord, may our prayers be perfumed by the incense of your atoning blood for us. Lord, may we be urgent that we know that all our needs must come to you in prayer. Lord, we are invited by your great promises to pray this way. And we are called by your Spirit, your Spirit interceding for us with groaning too deep for words. And we don't even know how to pray in some situations, Lord, that your Spirit would be interceding for us, that we would pray according to your will. And Lord, we ask that now, that we would lay hold of you according to your will, that you would bring your promises and perform your purposes in our life through these prayers, Lord. We're pleading that you would offset all of our iniquities by the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, we understand that we deserve infinite punishment for rebelling against an infinitely good God that you are. Lord, through our words and deeds and our thoughts, we have transgressed you time and time again. And Lord, we confess that to you now. And we ask, Father, for you to cleanse us, to renew us, to restore us. Lord, make us bold in love for you. Lord, let us understand these verses that say things like, pray without ceasing. Lord, that life begins now, that communion with you is to be had, that every moment of our life could always be before your face and in your presence. Lord, we pray that you would have us lay hold of you. All the promises, Lord, that we have in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. 
Every promise you've given us, Lord, is yes. You will not hold anything back from us. You love us. You love us as you love your own son. You love us as you love your own son. Lord, let us know this. Help us to realize this. Let it destroy any insecurities or guilts or anxieties to know that you are for us. The promise is true. Your word says it, that all of your promises are yes for us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have spoken them, and they shall be done. Help us, Lord, to leave all of our concerns into your hands. Teach us to resign everything according to your will. Grant us, Lord, advance in this life, that we would grow in godliness, that we would know the divine things of God, that we would lay aside the temporal things, that we would know that all things that are unseen are eternal and the things that are seen are only temporal, and that everything we have here is simply a test, tools to be manipulated and used for your glory. And that our hearts would never be wrapped up into any of this. But only laying hold of this one great treasure is to have the Lord Jesus Christ in greater and greater measure. As we be transformed from one glory to another to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come here this morning for your word. We ask, Lord, that we know we cannot see the image of Jesus. We do not know your face. Though we have not seen you, we love you. And we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. But Lord, we know the closest we come to perceiving you now is through your word mediated by your spirit that you show us your son. Lord, let us see the word that is the Logos, Jesus himself, who you would have pleased to be demonstrated by the word that is your scriptures, Lord. Open this to us now. We ask for your aid, Lord, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So it is Genesis 24. Um, it's a long text. I'll skip a few parts of it. This is the story. So here is the life of Abraham, and he is an old man at this time. And he is the man of faith. He is the man trusting in the Lord. And he is also a man that is old and weak, and he is dying. And his days are almost over. We only have a small dash of this life. And what you see in these very brief stories of just these patriarchs, they're called, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that their whole life is encapsulated in only a few pages, highlighting on the highs and the lows so that we would see that. And as Paul says in Corinthians, he says, this was written for us. This was written for us. Watch their life. Read what they're doing. The reason to preach through the text like this is that we take each verse and take it seriously to know what is it that we should know about Abraham? Why was this written for us? And here's Abraham's life. He's old, well advanced in years, and his son needs a wife. Because the whole point of this text is that God has perpetuated his promises. They are very great, exceedingly great promises, and they outreach, they outshoot the span of our life. And here's Abraham but trying to get his things in order as he wants his son to have a wife so the promises would continue before he would die himself. Genesis 24, it says this, Now Abraham was old. He was well advanced in years. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. He's a very wealthy man. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, an old servant, 
a wise old man who is well trusted, has charge of everything Abraham owns. And he says, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, the daughters of the land in which he lives presently, among whom I dwell. But I, but go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it, that you do not take my son back there. So if there's anything, any progress in Abraham's life is that God has promised him a son and he's promised him land. And he's trying to keep these two together. And by no means is Isaac ever to leave this promised land. Got this far, he got a well to his name, he's got a grave to his name, he doesn't want to lose that. So do not let my son leave this land. The Lord the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. That's the most important thing. Do not take him back. We're going forward in the promises. So, the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning his matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today to show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughter of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for my servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown Steadfast love to your master. Now before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, Give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into, and into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all the camels. She gave water to ten camels. And was running the whole time doing it. This man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten golden shekels and said, Please tell me, whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, 
whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord. That immediately through his progress, this would be how things happen. And skipping down to verse 29. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelet on his sister's arm, he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went out to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared a house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there they washed his feet, and he was with the men. Then the food was set before him to eat, but he said, and this is where the servant is pivotal here. He says clearly, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And they said, fine, speak. And so what happens is the servant goes in and reiterates the whole story I just read to you. He explains the whole thing. Providence, prayer, how this happened, how it unfolded. And I cannot eat until I tell you exactly why I'm here. Skipping down to verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban, Bethuel, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son. The Lord has spoken. You don't pray like that and just have it see happen within before your eyes and not get your attention. This is obviously what God wants you to do. Let it go. Let her go with you and be the wife of your master's son. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry and silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother and her mother costly ornaments. These are all dowries. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, so this is the next day, Time has lingered, they have slept, they have eaten, and this is the moment of decision. He said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us for at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. You can't experience a prayer like that. All you need is time to forget the miracles of God. At the moment of the day it happened, well, of course, this is the Lord. You don't just pray a prayer like that and this happens. But then you have dinner and you sleep. You wake up the next day. You scroll on the Internet and you just go to work, watch TV, do your thing. You forget. You forget all of what God has been doing. But this is a wise master. A wise servant, rather. Abraham sent the right guy for the job. And this servant, the oldest in his house, who owned everything, he's entrusting a very important task to him. And then they said, let us call the young woman and ask her then if we should procrastinate. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she simply said, I will go. And so they sent Rebekah 
um, their sister and a nurse and Abraham's servants uh, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, and here it is, Our sister, may you become a thousand of ten thousand, and may your offspring possess the gate of all those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now, there's no way I'm going to get through much of a sermon, especially since we're doing communion. And I just read not even the whole chapter. That's a long story. Here is Abraham at the end of his life trying to transition the promises of God successfully. And he sends his most trusted servant to do the task for his most beloved only son. These promises that were given to Abraham were precious and very great promises. Peter walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ do wonderful things. He saw him do wonderful miracles. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ transfixed, transfigured on that mountain. He saw the glory of God in many ways. And as an old man, he wrote his final letter in 2 Peter. And he said, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and his very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Be part- have such union with God that you would have partaking nature with God. That that is the, the end goal of your great salvation. And if you would not describe your life presently now as a partaker of the divine nature of God, to have your fullness in Him, then just wait. Because the promises are very great. And it doesn't all happen in one day. Now here's Peter, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is an old man. This is his final letter, most likely written in the late 60s. He's in Rome. He will be killed shortly. It's in the middle of probably a Neronian persecution. And he knows he's going to die. And he also knows all the promises. And he knows he won't see them all. But he's only doing the exact same thing that Abraham is doing here now. That he will transition and he will not see the full gospel yet. It's like a rainbow. When God gave Noah that promise... He gave him a sign, which was a rainbow. And you really just can't find the end of the rainbow. You look at it from your angle, where you are, and you let the light refract upon the droplets of water in the sky. And you're always somewhere in the middle of it. This is the promises of God. They are eternal. They are precious and very great. And so if you had a parabola of this thing called Abraham's life, the story of Abraham, you have a a star and a protagonist and an antagonist, and it grows, and every story meets a climax. And Abraham, in Genesis 22, went up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice his own son. That was the height of his life, the height of his faith. And then the story comes down. Like all of our stories, we start off crawling in diapers 
And then we end crawling in diapers. We are, our lives are parabola. We have low and we have high. And it's a sh- very small little rainbow. It will not outreach the real rainbow of God's full promises and revelation when he's revealed. There is a glorious multicolored spectrum around his throne. That all these promises find their yes in Jesus. And our life is such a small span that we will never see these promises actualized in this time. Yet they are precious and they are very great. And here is Abraham before his own son saying these promises are important. Do not let my son have any dealings with any of the people in this land. And do not let him ever leave this land. Because these promises are important and I will not see them. His marriage must be good. And so this is the situation that Abraham finds himself. He's, where he's an old man, we're told. He's advanced in years. He's old, he's weak, he's on his deathbed. He will end, but God's promises will not. Now the tendency is always to push God's promises up. To say they're just too good, they're too great, they're too vast, they're too much for us. Therefore we just make them high and ethereal and in the clouds. But the story, the actual seed, the beginning of all of the promises in Scripture are here. With real people, real children, real soil, real ground. The promises should not be pushed up to just say, well, we just can't see them all in this life. That doesn't mean the promises don't deal with this life. This is about a real marriage of real people. And really, don't leave this land like the soil on your feet. These are the eternal promises tied into the very nature of what God created. We don't push the promises up as the story is here and it's always been from the beginning. We pray the promises down. And here is Jesus saying, do pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't start that idea right then and there. From the very beginning, this promise with the servant right there by the well, praying Father, what's the next marriage partner? Something as practical and real as that is intricately connected to the eternal promises of God. And here is the servant praying the promises of heaven down. And he finds that in this prayer, the providence of God matches and they kiss perfectly. Perfectly for a moment. Sometimes life is not that way. Suffering and sorrow and trials, they don't make sense all the time. We don't always know why. But here is a moment where God's providence and inscrutable wisdom and his prayer, they kiss almost immediately while he's still praying. The exact very thing he looks for comes. And this is how the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth collide. This is how God is bringing in all these promises to the real world in which you and I live. And this is perpetuating the promises by having a son, by having an actual marriage. His most trusted servant is given the task. The oldest servant in his house. The one who has master over everything. And he said, do not return to anything except my country, where my people are from. And then the servant responds, well, what if the woman would not return with me? Then you're free from this vow. And a vow is a big deal. The servant understands that what he's doing is binding to his master Abraham a very unique and specific promise, and he must fulfill the task. 
If he were to delay, if he were to be distracted, he would fall under judgment or curse. He is making a vow before the Lord that he will do this very thing for his dying master. And so he goes on a journey. He travels north to Mesopotamia, right above from where Abraham is living, to the city of Nahor. And he takes ten camels, many costly gifts. Camels are not common especially in this era in history, to have 10 camels, maybe he has more and he's just taking 10. Abraham has great wealth. God has blessed him. He has blessed him. And Abraham's always talking about himself being blessed. The servant's always saying, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. But meanwhile, his name means father of multitude, Abraham. And he's got one son. Do you see how his faith is? Yes, I'm blessed. I have a bunch of camels. But I haven't fulfilled my name. I'm really just a one son father. Do you understand God calls you saint? Do you understand he calls you his precious inheritance? Do you understand that some days you really don't look like a saint? Which means holy. Which means godly. But it's okay. These promises are very great. You can't complete them in one lifetime. You will be holy. You will be. On your worst day when you don't feel it, you will be. He will finish it. Abraham has one son, but he is called a father of nations. He will make it happen. The prayer and providence meet. So here it is. He actually comes and prays, Lord, let it be appointed this way. I will say... Please let me drink from your jar. And she will respond, drink, and I will water your camels as well. Let this be the sign that I know that she's appointed. By this I know that you will be showing loving kindness toward my master and all his promises that you've given him. And prayer and providence meet this way. Before he had finished speaking, Rebecca comes. And she comes out and he goes to her and addresses her immediately. Please give me water. She says, I will draw water for you and your camels also until they are all finished drinking. That's a pretty big commitment for a random stranger you meet at the um, local giant eagle. You're out there getting water, and she says, I'll give you water and water for 10 camels until they're all satisfied. I don't know if you know this, camels tend to hold water places. So that's a lot of water. And she said, yes, I'll do that. It's a remarkable thing to ask for such a prayer, to say, let this be the case that she'd fill up my 10 SUVs with gas. It just doesn't seem to be normal. And she goes and does it immediately, which makes the prayer all the more remarkable. Man gazed at her and said, is this God fulfilling the promises? And so he says, who are you? And she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, Nahor. That is Nahor, Abraham's very own brother. That is, she is directly connected to his family tree. In a random well, in a random part of the north. Providence. God works these things out all the time in your life and mine. That he would just want his son to have someone who is an appropriate bride that is not part of his land. But God even exceeds our prayers often. And here is a perfect example where he gives even more. I'll give you one right from your very own family tree. This is the faithfulness of God. And so the problem of this whole story enters with this, the brother Laban. Laban, we will see him later in Genesis 29. 
Laban, the brother of Rebekah, is a problem. He's a beginning little problem now. He's a massive problem later on. He's tricky. He's deceptive. He does not have the mind of God. He does not care about the promises of God. He cares about his own gain. He cares about all the promises in this world. He likes, he likes her gold bracelet a lot. You notice what the text says. He saw the ring, which by the way would have been a nose ring. So that's just a good godly thing to have, a nose ring. Just remember. She had a nose ring on, and she comes in with these bracelets on her arm. And uh, he gets pretty excited. He says, oh my gosh, look at all that gold. She, he runs out and says, he runs out and comes and says, oh, blessed to the Lord. It, Laban loves the prosperity gospel. You got money? Wow, you're blessed to God. Why are you standing out there? Come on in here. I'll, I'll, make, a, I'll make a place for your camels and prepare a table for you. Oh my gosh. This is Laban. He loves this stuff. And so he retells the story to Laban and the mother and the father. And the response is, I need to know now. Can she come with me? And they say, it's of the Lord. How else could you pray such a specific prayer and have it fall just the way you asked for? This is from the Lord. Take her. She can be the wife of your master's son. And here's where it all pivots. This is the whole meaning of the sermon, the text, your life, everything. Jesus, the gospel. It's all on this right here. The difference between the promises, finding their place throughout all the providences of God. Because God will do it. Whether you and I want to or not, he will save the world. He will glorify his son. The gospel will advance. The gates of hell will not prevail. We know how the book ends. Now, the question for us, will you be procrastinating or will you be persistent? For there are two people here. This servant is a wise man. Abraham gave it to the right guy. And so he sits there before the table and he says, I will not eat until I tell you what I have to say. I will not take comfort on my master's time. I will not get comfortable here or like the places here. I need to get this done so I can go home. Do you understand this place is not your home? Do you understand everything we're doing here is just to get it done? That's it. It's just a little more complicated because it doesn't fit concisely in a one-page story. But that is your whole life. It's just one story. Get it done. For this is not our home. Do you want these promises? Or do you want the gold with Laban and just wander around down here? That's the difference of it all. That's the difference of it all right here. This servant is a wise man. And so in the morning, he eats. They say, yes, he eats. He enjoys the meal which is fine and good, but the next morning he wakes up and he now says, send me to my master, I'm done here. Because you know, of course, this young girl is with her family. It's very emotional to just go away and not likely see them more than once or twice again your whole life. Just leave everything. The man knows that when he prayed that way and responded with such a miraculous answer that now is the time to act. I cannot have multiple meals here. I cannot have you staying here with your daughter, reminiscing and pulling out scrapbook pictures. She might change her mind. 
Because we lose our love for the Lord and his promises every day. And so the next morning, he says, we must go. Now the mother and brother, of course, are here now to procrastinate. They put it off. And I use the word procrastinate because you could read this text and say, well, they're just being loving. It's their sister, their daughter. Of course, she doesn't want her to go real quick. But then you only have to read who Laban really is, only a few more chapters. He is procrastinating. He is looking for an angle. He is trying to do something else. And so he says, well, just 10 more days. Mind you, mind you, Jacob will find out that if only a few days can turn into 14 years if you accept Laban's advice. He's tricky. He cares only about this world and will step on anyone to get it. So here is Laban saying, 10 more days. And the master is a trustworthy man. He's a wise man. He has the wisdom that we should with the promises of the gospel. And he says, no, no, we're going straight to her now. She has to decide now. I'm under vow before Abraham. I must fulfill my master's bidding. Do you understand Jesus is our master? Do you understand when you confess Christ, you have made a vow before Jesus. He is your master. Every morning is nothing different than this right now. You wake up and you say, no, no, no. I must be about my master's business. Everyone else will have to go aside. He is my master. Because here's his level of the gospel. This is the beginning seeds of the gospel. And he knows a few things, but he knows them very well. And he's faithful to these promises. He knows one thing. All have sinned and died in Adam. All are under the curse and condemnation of God's eternal wrath and judgment. He knows this. Abraham has promised is promised by God that he will have a child to bless the nations. And that he knows that if he can get this girl for Isaac, they'll have a child. And he doesn't know if that's the next child. That is the blessed child to bless the nations or not. But that's the next step. They need to have a baby. And so let's go. Let's go now. I've had breakfast. Let's go. That's his view of the gospel. This is the child. To bless the nations. And Jesus' incarnation was dependent upon this breakfast meeting. That they had to be married. That they had to have Jacob. And Jacob had to have 12 sons. And it all had to lead to Jesus. In which Romans 5 says, at the right time, the Lord came. Maybe he would have come earlier. Because it's always compatibilistic with our decisions in this life, the Lord can use it all if there wasn't so much procrastination. But it wasn't for this guy's fault. It wasn't for him dallying. And so, there's many traps that he avoids. See, many people need to be about the master's business. And here's the question I have. Do you have the promises of God pressing upon you this way, upon your mind every morning you wake? Could you say it in a way that you say, I don't need breakfast right now. I first must lay hold of the promises of my master. And the answer for all of us explicitly, I will answer the question for you. I will answer the question for myself. No. No. We don't live this way. We don't. Like, we really don't. Okay? But we can. And we can grow. I have a friend who recently had tongue cancer. And he's been a Christian for 10 years. And he had a few abscesses that they cut over the past year or two. And they had another one show up. And they cut it. And they said this was a serious form of cancer. 
It's gone now. We're going to have to remove your lymph nodes as well. But you seem like you're free of this. In the midst of all that, his faith in Jesus Christ was there. He's a strong man of God. But it was the reality that he might meet his master tomorrow. That brought it all back to center for him. And when he did that, he laid hold of the Lord every morning. And everything seemed precious. And every promise had weight. And now, he describes himself as seeing, first off, his wife probably converted through this after years of prayer. But then also, all the people that come within his path, he just gives them the gospel. These past two or three weeks, he has just been giving everybody the gospel. His image in one morning of prayer, he described it to me. He said, I am like a bow, and I take God's word, which is like an arrow, and every morning I preach the promises of the gospel to myself, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon me and fills me and revives me. It's like dipping that arrow in oil. And then it gets lit with fire. And anyone I pass that day is hearing a warm, fiery gospel of the promises of the goodness of God. And I don't mince and I don't wait and I just tell them the glories of Jesus. Now it took him having to be challenged by cancer to remember that our whole life is this one story. And that it was one thing to take a vow with Abraham in the next few days. Remember, remember the vow, remember the commitment, and then be about your master's business. But if you've been a Christian for a year, two years, ten years, fifteen years, the vow is just as fresh and as real. And now God will bring trials like this man's cancer to bring it all to bear again to say it is about this one thing. Now we have a few more steps in the gospel. There is truth that all have sinned and fallen in Adam. That Abraham was promised a blessed child that will bless the nations. And that Isaac and, Re and Rachel would have a child. And now we know who that child is. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he is the Lord of glory. And we only have a few more steps of the same exact promise. Whether we choose to wake up, get in the labyrinth of Laban where we're always worried about the gold and the time. Ten more days. Just relax. You don't need to do that now. You don't need to do this here. Procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. Put it off. It's so simple. But just don't do that that way. Don't get all dramatic about just being about the gospel of Jesus and everything you do. But the reality we fail to see and the point of the beauty of sermonizing out Genesis is that you cannot avoid the fact that God has chosen to bring his promises through the mediation of your little decisions. Little decisions. Where you choose to pray and get some water someday. And whether you choose to have breakfast in the morning and then another breakfast in the evening, uh, dinner in the evening, or get on your master's business. It all relates to the unfolding of God's eternal plans in history. And you are part of that. You could either be persistent or procrastinating. And Abraham has found a very wise servant. I pray, I hope that I, we, would be that kind of servant to our Lord and Master. And so closing here, he says this. The promises is perpetuated by three things primarily. The promise is perpetuated by providence. That is, God working all things out. 
just so happened to be at that well, just so happened to be literally the brother of Abraham. That would be his great niece comes to the well. Just so happens, of course. There is no just so happens. Everything in your life was on purpose. Everything. Romans 11 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That is, in God's providence, we define it as God preserving, concurring, and governing all things. From him, it all comes from him. He preserves all of creation presently at the moment. Through him, he concurs. That is, through this prayer, through the camels, through the water, through the conversation, through it all, God is doing all of this. He's concurring with all these decisions they make. And to him are all things. That is, Romans says, to him are all things. That means he's governing it all. He can write the end of the book. He knows where this is going. He's played it all out providentially that his government is so definitive that it is going somewhere. It's going back to him. That all creation, this revelation says that all creation fled out of fear of his glory and he pulled them in and the throne is the center of gravitational force. It's the black hole of it all that there will be a time and when everything will flow to the throne of Jesus. He governly, providentially governs everything and the story will end there. Yet your decision on how you speak to someone next to a water fountain is part of that. Will you be about your master's business or you will be looking at gold? The promise is perpetuated by prayer. Here is this man praying, while praying, in that location. And those prayers are presently fulfilling these promises. And lastly, this promise is perpetuated by a proposal. It came down to the definitive point where this man simply said, or the woman was particularly asked, will you go with this man? And that is nothing more than the gospel. Do you understand that she had to have that kind of faith to say, I will do nothing more than exactly what Jesus says you need to have to believe in him. If you do not hate your mother or father more than me, if you do not hate them in reference to loving me more than them, you're not worthy of me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The idea of hating when Jesus says that is a preferential decision, not literally hating your mom, but saying, I, in reference to my decision of Jesus, he holds greater paramount than even my familial love. And so the question to her was, will you go with this man now? He's leaving now. He is not making a middle road. You will not stay here 10 days. You will go now or you will not. And do you understand that is the gospel? And do you understand she had the faith to say, I will go with him. And your question is, will you go with the Lord Jesus Christ now? Will you leave it all? You would leave just as much as she did for that marriage. Everything she ever knew, her home, her land, her friends, her family, it's all gone to go to this strange land with these strange people, never even met her husband before, and says, I will go. And what's beautiful is the text says, I think you have time to read it, is that she went, they met, and then she loved him. Her love came after. You don't love someone you never met before. 
Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Maybe not all the time. Go to him. Love will come later. And it will come even stronger. That's the decision. This is the proposal. The promise is perpetuated through that one proposal, which is nothing more than the gospel. Will you go with Jesus? That promise perpetuates now through all the generations. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we lift up your name. Lord, we know that we have not oftentimes been about our master's business, Lord. We thank you for this word you've given us this morning. We thank you for the master that you are and the servant that Abraham had, Lord. Lord, we pray that we would be like that. Lord, let us wake up every morning and say, I will not eat until I say what I have to say. Let that be our prayer life. I will not eat until I have said what I have to say to you, Lord. Let us preach the gospel to ourselves every morning so that when we leave to go about doing our seemingly little decisions, that it would never be a little decision. In Jesus' name.